morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Hope Church. My name is Tom O'Connell. I serve here as the senior pastor of Hope, and I'd love for you to have your Bibles open or maybe bring it up on a device, uh, the, the Uversion uh, app that you have on your phone or another app you maybe have to Mark. Uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 today, and again, if we haven't met or if you have questions about Hope Church, I'll be out in our Welcome Center, which is uh, right out in our cafe. I encourage you to stop by there, grab a cup of coffee, lemonade before you leave um, um, today, love to answer any questions. But Mark chapter two, uh, we're jumping back into our journey through the book of Mark, and today we're going to learn about old garments and old wineskins. Old garments and old wineskins are going to be the theme. Uh, things we're going to talk about. Very everyday objects uh, that have a lot to reveal to us today about the heart of God uh, towards people. Old garments. In old wineskins. I want to read the verses, just a few uh, today. Uh, Mark chapter 2, really in the middle of Mark chapter 2, starting verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Old garments and old wineskins. Um, today, before we dive in and learn from those just few verses, it's important for us to take time to remember what was talked about just before this. It's kind of like what the shows, uh, you know, you and I watch on maybe Hulu or Netflix or uh, different networks you watch shows. I appreciate the shows that say, previously on, because many times when I'm watching the shows, I watch Netflix and, and Hulu and other, other networks, uh, sometimes it's late at night. Like, especially after the kids go to bed, and I'm not at my best, uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, so my eyes are kind of fading a little bit, and I miss, like, the, you know, last 10, 15 minutes of the show, and wake up, and it's over, and so I appreciate the previously on the recap. It helps me understand, oh, that, and so what's going to take place in this episode is connected to what took place in the last episode. So before we dive into Mark chapter 2, 18 to 22, I want us to understand previously in the book of Mark... What took place? Because this context feeds right into what we're going to talk about today. So Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for they were many, there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he share a meal with these people? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's important for us to be reminded of these verses. The, the question, Jesus called Levi, son of Alphaeus, a tax collector, to follow him. Be, Levi, be one of my disciples. I want you to learn from me and follow me, and, and I'm going to empower you to live for me. And that was scandalous for Jesus to call a tax collector who, in that culture, in that first century context, were hated, despised, considered wicked people. And that Jesus, a religious teacher, a rabbi, would allow this man who's doing such evil things to be one of his disciples was scandalous. And then, and then Levi invites Jesus and his, and his friends, his, other, his tax collector friends and his sinner friends who their, their behavior would have been you know, blatantly obvious. We're talking uh, prostitutes and thieves and murderers and just people of low reputation. He invites them all to his house and Jesus is there and these religious leaders are like, how can you eat? That's the question. Why does Jesus, why do you eat with these people? And that's the question that I believe even carries over into what we're going to talk about today. And when, when those who are putting the Bible together, they, they put chapters and verse numbers to help us know, you know, it's easier to find. This, these are the kind of few verses we're looking at today. But they also put these headings in. And the headings are great. They kind of introduce the, the section, what we're going to talk about. But, but sometimes when we have a, a break like this, we can, we see, G, in my Bible, it's called Jesus' question about fasting. That's the heading. And we can see that in, it, in our minds, it creates a break. Well, that that meal was a few days ago, and now this is a new scene. And, and many times, the heading does separate a new scene from another scene. But in this context, I do believe it's the same scene. It's Levi's house. The food is being passed around. The drinks are being passed around. Eating is happening. Celebration is happening. And Jesus is questioned about fasting. It makes sense. In the context of a meal that Jesus, Jesus would be questioned about why are your disciples eating when we are fasting? And that's the context of what we're going to talk about today. And in these verses, uh, Jesus again will show uh, the love he has for all people, everyone in that, or in that setting, not just the tax collectors and sinners, but also the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are questioning even now. In verse 18, it says this, now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Fasting in, in the first century context was what we would call three, one of the three pillars of that you, you things you did, these outward displays of, your, of your, how you followed God. The three pillars in Judaism would have been fasting, giving to the poor, and prayer. Those were the pillars. Like if you were a religiously devout person, you did all three of those things on a regular basis. And Jesus even, if you read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses all three of them in the Sermon on the Mount in one section. And he doesn't say, don't do these things. He doesn't say, don't fast, don't pray, don't give to the poor. But what he says, he flips it and he says, when you give to the poor or when you pray, when you fast, 
his concern or what Jesus was doing was doing was not trying to eliminate these these outward displays of of your devotion to God and caring for other people but what he was concerned about was the motivation why were people giving to the poor why were people praying in public to be seen by others and be heard by others and wow listen to that person pray they must really know God and then fasting they would they would distort or contort their face to show people, look how devout I am and how, how long I'm willing to withhold food for myself, how devoted I am to God. And many of these outward displays of, of religion, of following God, were done so that other people would see them. And here, again, Jesus isn't saying don't fast, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but fasting was a part of the everyday life in, within Judaism. And really, there was only one day commanded in scripture that the Jews were uh, commanded to fast, and that was the Day of Atonement, or you've maybe heard it called Yom Kippur. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, I believe it is, the Jews are instructed, Jews are instructed to fast. And it's a time of repentance. It's a time of, of mourning over sin. And that is the, when we think of fasting, we maybe today might miss this context from first century. But in the first century, it was a time of mourning, of grief, of lamenting, many times over sin or something really bad that, that happened. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah, when he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, he, he mourns and he fasts because of what's happened. He, he's sorrowful, sad over what's happened. And that's the attitude. And so now the, these people are questioning John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the Pharisees, we uh, based on some other uh, parts of the New Testament, the Pharisees many times would fast more than just that one day a year, but two times a week. Uh, many times it was a Monday, Thursday fast. They would stop and they would fast. They would mourn. They would, again, show people how devoted they are to God through their fasting. And then it says this, some people came and asked Jesus, like, We're, these people are fasting, but your disciples are eating all this food around the table. Why is that happening? How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Again, the context of fasting was sadness and mourning and repentance and sorrow. But Jesus says, well, let me tell you why we're not fasting. Why me and the disciples, my disciples are not fasting. Verse 19, he says, he, he uses imagery of a wedding feast. And he says this, how can the guests of the bridegroom, those at the wedding party, fast while he is with them? They cannot, he says, so long as they have him with them. Jesus, in a way, is comparing himself to the bridegroom. And he's using the imagery of a wedding feast. And at a, at a wedding, you don't fast, you feast. Imagine a few weeks ago at the royal wedding. I don't know if any of you got up at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. Uh, some of you did. Yeah, that's great. I was more like 6.30. They were already coming out of the church and missed the whole thing. But it's okay. I didn't watch any of the other weddings. Uh, but anyway, imagine being invited to that wedding and at the reception. And I can only imagine the rows of tables and food and drink. This celebration. And people show up that day and say, thanks for putting all this out. But we're fasting. We're not going to eat. We're, we're not going to eat this food. We're, we're going to fast from it. I mean, that'd be insulting. All this food's been prepared. 
This, that day, that ceremony, and even in, in, in a wedding uh, a feast or celebration in, in, in the first century, many went as much as seven days. Like many of ours are like an afternoon. We're done and then you're off to the honeymoon. But in this context, many cere- wedding ceremonies and celebrations lasted seven days worth of feasting. And that's why in, in the, the, the uh, miracle when Jesus turned water to wine, they ran out, which was unheard of. That you would, I mean, they had to have enough wine to get through the seven days. And they usually brought the worst wine out at the end because they already drank the best. And they didn't need the best at the end. And Jesus creates the best, and that's in John chapter 3. But, but the idea here is Jesus is selling this, saying this is not a time to mourn, to fast, but this is a time to celebrate because me, the bridegroom, I'm in your midst, and I'm here. Now, he doesn't say fasting is wrong. He doesn't say stop fasting. And that's where it goes here, the end of uh, in verse 20. It says, but, he transitions here. But the time will come when the bridegroom, again, talking about himself, the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. So Jesus, like he said in Matthew, is not saying don't fast. But he's saying, this season, while I'm here, It's not appropriate, like it would be inappropriate at a wedding to say, no, I'm not going to eat this. It'd be insulting. Jesus says, in a way, we're to be celebrating because God is in your midst. But there is coming a day. And Jesus, even in using, speaking here, verse 20, is foreshadowing what's going to happen. He's going to be taken away. And even when we, next week, a little teaser for next week. Uh, We're going to go into chapter 3, and in the last verse we're going to look at, uh, because of something Jesus does on on the Sabbath day, that that based on their man-made laws, Jews should not have done, this this group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, are going to plot with enemies to kill kill Jesus. And he's even foreshadowing what's going to take place next. He is going to be taken away. So Jesus, again, does address their question about fasting, but I don't think that's the biggest question on his mind. I still believe the biggest question on his mind that they asked a moment ago was, why do you eat with these people? Why do you eat with them? Why do you share a meal with them? Why do you dip your hands in the same bowl as they do? Why do you rub shoulders with them? And it wasn't just the only time. Jesus continually was with these types of people. And that, I believe, is still the big question in Jesus' mind in this context. Why do you eat with them? Because they didn't. And Jesus is breaking all the rules. And it's making them very uncomfortable. And I believe Jesus wants to continue to address that question. Why do you eat with them? And that's where he gives us these two images, these everyday, maybe not in our context, but everyday objects in their context to communicate about God's heart for all people. Not just the sinners, the tax collectors, but even the religious who are just as broken as the the tax collectors and sinners. So he has these two pictures, these two images. Verse 21. No one, no one sews a patch. Somewhat an awkward transition. From fasting to the bridegroom to leaving. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. 
If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And he says, let me tell you another, let me give you another picture. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. And if he does, the wine, that new wine, will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins, they'll be ruined. Ruined. Can never use it again. Never drink that wine. No, he says. He pours new wine into new wineskins. Old garments, an old coat, an old jacket, an old pair of pants, and some old wineskins. Everyday objects that Jesus will use to communicate about his heart for all people. Let's talk about the first one, an old garment. We don't know if it was a pair of pants, a coat, a jacket, whatever it was, somehow there's a hole, a rip, a tear in it. Whether it got snagged on something or cut on something, we don't know. But, but with a hole, the, in that context, you would patch it. But no one, he says, and this is, you know, uh, common sense in this culture, no one takes an unshrunk piece of cloth, fabric, and tries to sew it, patch the hole in the pair of pants or the jacket. Because if you do, when, that, when you wash that and that, piece, that garment dries, that new piece will shrink. And as it shrinks, it will rip away from the old garment that has been sewn to. And the tear or the hole becomes worse. So what do you do? Do you throw it out? Go down, the street, go down the street to the local clothing store and pick up a new jacket? No, you patch it. But before you take that patch, you shrink the patch. You wash and dry the patch so that when it's attached or sewn to the old garment to cover the hole or tear, it stays. In our context, it's easy for us to read these verses with our, uh, our way of looking at life, and even a clothing. You and I, we get a hole. If I got a hole in this shirt, I'm not sewing it. I don't sew. I don't know if that surprises you or not. Um, you know, but I, I probably haven't sewed since home ec class in uh, sixth grade. Made my uh, little pin cushion. I think it's probably what I made my last project uh, in home ec class. But like, I don't like if I got a hole in these pants or a shirt. I'm throwing it out. And that's what most of us would do. We just, we just get rid of it or we maybe give it to goodwill. Or, but, but in this context, again, not our context, but here, you don't throw something, a garment, a jacket, let's say it's a jacket with a hole out. These are the days before walk-in closets. These are the days, like these people wouldn't have had the amount of clothing that you and I have. You and I, I don't know if it happens to you, it happens to me sometimes, like, oh, I, like I find a shirt, like in the back of my closet. I'm like, oh, that's where that went. You know, I'm looking for that. Or a pair of pants that's under the other pairs of pants I have. And it's like, these people would have had very limited amounts of clothing. And if something got a hole in it, they repaired it. Now, it's interesting, even in our context, it seems like the more holes, the better um, in clothing today. I don't necessarily get that, uh, but it is what it is. When I go shopping with our kids, especially our daughters, and there's the jeans, especially with the holes in I feel like I should pay less 
for that. It's like less jeans than what you should be getting. But, you know, it's one of those fashions that I'm praying goes out. Uh, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I pray certain fashions leave sooner than others. Uh, others come back. Like, I'm waiting for baggy. Come on back in, baggy. Uh, you know, I love that. The big pants, big shirts. Anyway, um, I'll get off the soapbox and come back. But Jewish scholar David Stern, um, who wrote, has written numerous books, uh, a Bible and, and uh, commentaries, again, presenting the Jewish frame of mind as it relates to this story, the Bible, says this about what Jesus says. The implication is that one must shrink the new cloth. For Jesus does not imply that there is anything wrong with patching an old coat. There's nothing wrong with that. So let's talk about the wineskin. What about the wineskins? The, the new wine going into new wineskins. What, what, the old, these old wineskins, what do you do? So again, in this context, uh, bottles would not, like in our context, bottles are used for wine. So when wine is fermenting, it's in the bottles and it's taken care of. But, but in this context, when wine was still in the fer- fermentation process, they'd be put in these skins, which were animal hides, leather, uh, made, uh, sewed up together. And sometimes water was held in those too. Uh, so you put the new wine into these these new wineskins, and, and, and what would happen is the wine would still be fermenting and gases would be released off. So those wineskins would uh, contract back and forth as the gases are released there in the wine. And over time, as a wineskin is used multiple times, and especially if it's not being used for a while, it gets dry and brittle and even develops some cracks in it. So again, what do you do when you have new wine and you have an old wineskin? You can't pour new wine into an old wineskin because the gases that are released from the new wine will burst. And that's what Jesus says. It'll burst the skin. You can't do that. So what do you do? You put your new wine that you just made into new wineskins. We read new wineskins and we think, well, you take the old wineskin, you throw it in the trash, you go down to the local store and you pick up a brand new wineskin. And again, in this context, they didn't throw out old wineskins. They didn't have the resources to throw out and just go down the store and pick up a new wineskin. That word new at the end of verse 22, and it says, no, he pours new wine into new wineskins. The word new there isn't you go to the store and get a brand new one. The word is kynos, which literally means fresh or refresh or renewed. So it's not a brand spanking new one. It's an old one that has been refreshed. So what do you do? How do you refresh an old wineskin? It was a process. It wasn't easy. It didn't happen fast. But they would be immersed in water to soften them. And they'd be lathered with oil to soften it. And sometimes cracks had to be repaired. And then when it was returned to its original state, you could pour the new wine into the new wineskin. The refreshed wineskin. Again, David Stern's speaking about the old wineskin. He said, old wineskins have lost their strength or their elasticity, their ability to contract and retract, like to expand. They've lost that ability. So they need, so they cannot withstand the pressure of the new wine still fermenting. 
He says an old wineskin, one that's been used, one that's older, can be restored to service of its useful qualities when they're renewed. So with these everyday objects, old garments and old wineskins, what in the world is Jesus trying to communicate about the people that are there that day? In this culture, you don't throw out garments that had holes in them. And you didn't throw out old wineskins. You renewed them. You restored them. Maybe to use the biblical language, you healed them. You healed them. And these everyday objects reveal, as again, I believe Jesus is talking about these two objects. He's, he's talking about people, the people there that day. And you and I even today, thousands of years later. These everyday objects reveal that people with holes and cracks in us still have value and worth. All throughout Mark so far, Jesus, these people that are broken. We saw a man possessed by an evil spirit in the synagogue. We saw a leper that had no place in the community, could not come. We saw a man paralyzed who couldn't walk. We saw Levi, the tax collector, who the religious would say, let's just forget about him. And then we have sinners all around Jesus representing, I believe, broken people, people with holes and cracks in them that the religious leaders would say, let's just get rid of them. Let's just throw them out. Let's just forget about them. Let's overlook them. But Jesus says, I've not come to throw them out, but I've come to renew them, to heal them, to restore them so they can receive this teaching. Now, the, the, the interesting thing in the story is that those people, the, 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 the paralyzed, the, man, the leprosy, the uh, demon-possessed man, the tax collectors and the sinners, like their holes and cracks, are, like what their brokenness is pretty obvious. And the religious that are leaders that are there that day who devote their whole lives to studying the law and the Torah and the prophets, they feel like they're okay. But the reality is they are just as broken as the tax collectors and sinners. Just as broken. And just as in need of God's healing in their lives. Jesus said back in Mark 2 verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Everyone in that meal, at that, in that house that day is sick. Some see it and some don't. These objects also, these everyday objects also reveal the responsiveness of people, people's hearts. Those who hear his message and respond, they have an openness. There's an openness to his teaching. Jesus, again, I believe as he's using these images, is, is in a bit of a rebuke. Like, you guys, you religious leaders, like, you study the law and the prophets, and you, you want to live such godly lives. But honestly, there's a stubbornness in you that will not receive what I'm teaching. I believe as he's talking about these old wineskins, in a way he's saying, you're like dry and crusty and brittle. Like, you're not willing to receive this. But these other people, there's a humility. There's a softness. 
They receive what I'm saying, so much so that we can put this new wine, so to speak, in to that new wineskin, and they receive it. Jesus, even what he's saying here again, will set up what we're going to talk about next week, that their stubbornness gets to the point where Jesus does something so good for a person on the Sabbath that the religious leaders see it as an offense and say, we have to kill him. That's how stubborn their hearts became. They're not willing to receive what Jesus is doing. The great irony in this whole story is that all those at that party that night, those eating and those watching others eat, all those at the party that night were sick and broken. Some were keenly aware of it and others for various reasons couldn't see it. They couldn't see their own brokenness and yet the bridegroom was in their midst. And he's showing and revealing the heart of God for all people. Those who are deeply religious and think I'm doing okay to those who are deeply sinful and making a mess of their lives. God's grace and God's heart is for all people. These stories and many others in the New Testament, again, as Jesus walked on this earth, he revealed God's heart to us. How does God, what does God think about people and how does he move towards people? And I wonder for some of you today, your brokenness is pretty obvious. One of the things I love about Hope Church is that we have people that, that they have like all their life, like church is all they've ever known. Like, that's kind of my story. I mean, Sunday school, youth group, uh, Christian college, like church is kind of all I've ever known. But there are some of you here that this is the first church you've ever been a part of. And if you were on, like, if you were up here, you said, you would say, I've made a pretty big mess of my life. I've done some things that I wish I hadn't done, and I've made a mess of my life. And, and I'm thankful that there is both represented because the reality is both of us, all of us, are broken. Whether you've been raised in church or never, this is your first time in a church, all of us are broken and are all sick and are all in need of God's healing. All of us. And these stories reveal God's heart, not just for those who are the outcast. He has a heart for the outcast, but he also has a heart for the religious. He's near these religious leaders saying, here's an opportunity to respond He's moving towards them, wanting them to respond. And some will, but many won't because of that stubbornness that they can't see past their own religion and way of following God. There are many other passages in the Bible that reveal God's heart for all people. One of my favorite passages is in Luke 15, which the context is actually very similar to Mark chapter 2. I'm not going to turn there, but Luke 15, Jesus is being asked questions about why do you hang around with these types of people? And then he tells three stories. He tells a story about a shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. And then he tells a story about a woman who, who, who looks high and low in her house for a lost coin. And then he tells a story about a father who has two sons. And the story of the father with two sons has gotten the name the prodigal son. And a number of people have written books about this story. And, and one even, Rembrandt, painted a picture 
about. I want to show you the picture. Maybe some of you have seen this. This is entitled uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, Rembrandt painted it in 1669, I believe. It's in a museum. The original print is in a museum in Russia. Um, and he painted this picture based on Luke 15. And the story goes, there was a father who had two sons, and the younger son said to the dad, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which is basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And his dad gave it to him. He says, here's your inheritance. And that son, we told in Luke, the parable tells us, that wasted all his inheritance on wild living. Kind of got to the top, friends, restaurants, parties, all these types of things. And then a period of time goes by and he goes from the top of the ladder basically down to the bottom. And we're told he's feeding the pigs and wishing that he could eat what the pigs are eating. He hits rock bottom. And he comes to his senses and he realizes, my dad has servants who are being, at his house who are treat, being treated better than me. I'm just going to go home and be a servant. And when he goes home, instead of his dad, put, as a parent, put yourself in this situation, your child takes off, you know, waste, and you, you know, are you standing on the porch, are you waiting inside, waiting for them to come in? I don't know how, how we might respond. But this dad in the, pit, in the story in Luke 15 sees his son and runs. In this culture, in the, in the first century, men, grown men, it, like jogging wasn't a thing. Like they just didn't run. Like, people are like, like why, what is he doing? And this man, this grown man, picked up his robe and ran to his son and wraps his arms around him. And his son is trying, I get the picture, his son is trying to speak, trying to push dad off, like, dad, I have some things I need to say, and I'm, you know, I've, I've made a mess, and I just want to be a servant in your household. That's why I'm back. And his dad said, you won't be a servant. You're my son. And that hasn't changed. And he puts a ring on his finger, he puts a robe on him, and throws a party. There's another son, the older son. He's home. He never left. He took care of things. He lived, he did the right things. And we're told in Luke 15 that he hears about the party and he's angry. And he won't even go into the house. And what does the dad do? He goes to the son the older son who did all the right things but yet still in need of grace and goes to him. And he said, you've always been here and everything I have is yours. Both sons. I have the print of this hanging in my office for a few reasons. <laughs> One, it reminds me I can be either or son. I can be one or the other. Sometimes I'm both and. Sometimes I'm more one than the other. Sometimes my decisions make a mess of my life. And sometimes I could be like the religious son, the good son, doing all the right things, but my heart is far from the Father. In this scene that day, in Mark chapter 2, there was kind of two groups of people. Some who making a mess of their lives and some who thought they were doing all the right things but both in need of God's grace. And I wonder today, as you look at this picture, again, that Rembrandt painted a number of years ago, which one maybe represents you right now? Which one maybe represents your heart right now? Again, in this context, some are receiving what Jesus is doing and some are saying, no. There's a stubbornness. There's a hard-heartedness. 
As I think about this scene and as I think about the painting that Rembrandt painted a number of years ago, the reality is we can be one or the other and at times we're both and. And and the goal for you and I is to become like the father. As we experience his love as the older son and as the younger son experiences love, the goal for you and I is to become more like the father who's willing to love both. But first we have to experience his grace and love in our own lives. The grace that was available to the sinner and the tax collector in Mark chapter two was available to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Some were willing to receive it and others weren't. His grace is available to you and I today. Might we receive it and then in turn love people like we have been loved. Let me pray for us. We'll sing about the good, good father that we have. So God, I want to thank you for Mark chapter two, even the verses we looked at today and the context. And Jesus, you did things that made the religious uh, establishment and leaders very uncomfortable. And maybe for some of us even here, your activities, who you're hanging around with makes us uncomfortable. But Lord, I pray that we would be quick to realize we're all broken. We're all in need of your grace and mercy. Whether we've made a mess, we would be lumped into that sinner group. We'd be more lumped into the Pharisee, the religious group. We're all in need of your grace. I'm thankful that you came for both because we're all broken. And your grace is available to us today. There's some here today, maybe they just need to receive your grace for the very first time. So we come, we come to you, the good father. Help us receive your love, receive your grace, and then live in love the way we have been loved. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.